Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to our Wednesday episode of Equipping You in Grace. Uh, today, I am again joined by Amy Joseph. Amy, welcome back to the to the show. Thanks. It's a, it's a joy to be back. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Absolutely. Well, can you just catch us up on on what's happening in your in your life? You know, I know we're recording this in early early January. Just want to catch us up on some things maybe that are happening that you didn't share before. I'm trying to think. We're glad to be back and hitting rhythms again. We, we're we're thankful for holiday breaks, but as a mama, I'm always ready to to jump back into rhythm and routine. I love I love rhythms. That's part yeah. of who God inspired me to be. So we're getting back into school. Looking forward to a new school year or new calendar year. Um, trusting God to provide us with a, a place to meet for our church. We've been meeting outside which isn't too terrible in San Diego, but still it would be nice to not be putting up chairs in backyards every day. So yeah, walking by faith, excited to see what God has to, it's going to do in this new year and um, fighting the temptation of fear and control and wanting to walk into the good works God has for us. So yeah, we just got back from Idaho and a week of vacation. So we're looking forward to we're getting back in the groove and getting situated and settled. And Isn't that funny? Just, like, we're, we're really not made for perpetual rest. Like I always yeah. say to my boys, I'm like, we're supposed to work at resting and rest while working because That's God's right. made us for both. When we have too much vacation, we get all stir crazy. And yeah. when we work too much and we don't rest enough, we get stir crazy. So That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to continue our conversation. You know, we had a really, we had a really good exchange on Monday back and forth. And so just continuing the, the conversation here from Monday, uh, how does having proper expectations, gathering the right information, even inviting others into decision-making process help us as Christians? I, I know that we got into this some, but maybe you want to dive, let's dive in a little bit more. I think having proper expectations for anything is kind of the key to a really happy life. <laughs> we joke around about that a lot as a family, it's having red expectations. So I think it's helpful to know when it comes to decision-making um, that it's a process. We are a very product-oriented culture. We live in Amazon Prime world where you buy something immediately and it shows up at your door. We do not like process. We like product. Um, And decision-making is largely process. Um, We're always making decisions. And so if you kind of live with that, like, oh, once I make this decision, then I'll have peace. Once I make this decision, then I'll have peace. You're never going to have peace because it's you're constantly making decisions. And so it's helpful to know. Um, I, when I think about expectations for decision-making, I always want to say process, this is a process and God enjoys the process, not just the decision. He enjoys how you get there. Sometimes I think he's actually more concerned with how you get to the decision than the decision itself, because there are ways to get to the right decision that are wrong, (laughs) wrong approach uh, that are self-willed or yeah, that are fleshly. And there are, you know, ways to get to a decision that are God honoring and, and, give us, give him great glory and us great joy. And I think he's more concerned with that, with our dependence and our desire to please him and our desire to be near to him. He doesn't Mm -hmm. just want the product. He wants to be with us in the process. So I think that's important to know. This is going to be a process. Um, I think it's important to, to gauge the complexity of your decision. Like 
There are simple decisions in life and we need to treat them as simple decisions. We don't need to agonize over whether we should get the guacamole or not on the side of our Chipotle. Like that is a simple decision. If you're spending hours thinking about a simple decision, you're you're misallocating and misstewarding what God has given you to do. Simple decisions require simple, simple process. More complex decisions should require a more complex process. They should take a little bit longer. They should involve more counsel. You shouldn't be calling your mentor to ask them if you should wear a dress or pants today, right? That's a simple decision. You should just walk in freedom and make the decision. You should be calling a mentor to ask them about who you're going to marry. So gauging the complexity of the decision is important. So the more complex the decision, the more counselors we want to invite in, the more carefully we want to process. Um, so complexity, clarity, a lot of times we come to God and we are demanding clarity or just, I want God, make it clear, right? We want God to sky right with a plane. This is your will. You know, we want to put out a fleece and say, okay, if this happens, then, then I'll know it's God's will. Most of the time, God is not as concerned with clarity as he is with faith. He wants us to walk by faith. And so there's this great story of a book um, from a Brendan Manning book, but um, it's a, a person who a really strong, high powered leader who kind of does the whole pilgrimage to Mother Teresa to try to find answers in life. And and he's waiting around all day at the center. I think the center for the dying. And he she finally is like, what do you want? And he says, I, you know, you always have clarity in your decisions. I need clarity. And she says, I refuse to pray for you, that for you. Because you don't need clarity, you need faith. And she just walks away. And that was it. That was her interaction with this man. Um, and I love that you are demanding clarity when God says, I am asking you for faith. And so when we look in, in Hebrews 11, we see a whole line of, of people in, in the Christian storyline who said, we are going to walk by faith, not, not in that which we see, but that which, which we can't see. Romans 8, hope that is seen as no hope at all. And so this concept of, of um, we, need, we need faith. God loves when his children walk by faith. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're waiting for perfect crystal clarity to make a decision, you're probably not going to get it. Mm. <laughs> um, because God wants his children to walk by faith. That is the economy of the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, he often just wants us to walk by faith. So Abraham and Sarah, they did not know where they were going. They left Ur and they followed a God who came to them once and revealed himself based on a promise. And they didn't know where they were going. God revealed it slowly as they went. And it was a long process back to the idea of process. Abraham didn't get Isaac right away. It was a slow piecemeal revelation of what he and Sarah were to do. And as they walked by faith, God provided and revealed himself to them. And he brought them all the way to where he would have them be. And the same is going to be true for us. So complexity, clarity. And then the other thought when it comes to expectations is when we make a decision, we often want to consult someone who's been in that situation before, right? So if you are thinking about going in the mission field, you want to interview other missionary families. If you're thinking about foster care, should you should you invite an, another child into your family or adoption? You want to interview people that have been there before. And that is a helpful rule. That is a good way to gather counsel. But it's helpful. I think it's most helpful to know that Christ is the pioneer, that there are situations where no one has gone before you except for Christ. Christ knows exactly what he's doing. He's gone ahead of you. He is within you and he's behind you, having you in behind him before. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be situations where it's complex and no one else has been in your exact situation. And it's helpful then and always to know that Christ has gone ahead of you. 
Christ has gone before you. It says in Hebrews that he is the author and the pioneer of our faith. He has pioneered ahead of us. He has has blazed the path that he would have us walk and he's going to guide us into it. And so that gives us great freedom and rest in our souls when we're trying to make a decision to know that we have a pioneer in Christ who has gone before us, who is with us, and he will go behind us. He will hem us in behind and before. He will be our rear guard as we make decisions. Um, I just think that's an incredible gift of, of the Christian faith that we we ought to be using. We ought to be leaning into those things more yeah, than we are. That's really good. One one thing I know that I, I've been guilty of in the past, it has nothing really to do with what you're saying, but it's just kind of a caution, you know, from somebody who I've been a Christian for over 30 years and I can tend towards that, towards, okay, let's go to the community. Let's get advice. But the first thing we have to do is we have to go ourselves in prayer into the word. And so just, just think about that for just, as you don't just go and lean on that person or on those mentors or friends, go to the word, go to the prayer Mm -hmm. and take that and, and take those struggles and those fears and I'm not saying, I, don't, I just want to be clear here. I'm not saying that you don't go do those other things that we've talked about. I'm just saying like the first and the primary reaction to those things. And even if you're a friend, to be a good Christian friend, we should be actually asking people like, hey, did you go to the scriptures? Did you go pray about this? Uh, and then say, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. But first, I need you to go pray about it. I need you to go in scripture. And I think what that does, I wish somebody had done that, like did that with me, like even, even, even now, like, because what it does is, is it was so like, we can become so dependent on that person yes, and not enough on Christ. And we should be pointing people to the scripture into Christ. So I, I would just say that. And I'm, and I am like, I'm like guilty of this. Like I don't, I don't practice that as often as I should. So take that for what it's worth. I'm just giving you some advice on that. Like, and I'm just thinking of it in light of what you were saying, because it's just so, so important that we be pointing to the sufficiency of Christ, to the sufficiency of God's word. And that's just, yeah, just had a random thought. So no, I I think that's so significant and you're not gonna, yeah, the Lord, the Lord has unique paths laid out for each of us. And, and, there's not always going to be, sometimes we're going to have to go against wise counsel and, and walk by faith. And, and because we're so sure that that's what God is calling us to do because we've spent time with him. And again, back to the whole process thing, the whole point of this process is intimacy and dependence on Christ. That's what God would have for us. <laughs> he wants us to be his children. He wants to be our father. And so um, he's going to set us up in situations where we're having to depend and ask him because he wants us closer on his lap. He wants us nestled up into him. And I think decision-making forces us into the lap of Christ because it forces us to pray and to search the scriptures and to really fast and to, to feast on his word, to know, God, what are you having me to do? And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there's decisions we've 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 been making and we've, we've wrestled and we've prayed and then God just closes the door. And I just thought, you know, that was just the Lord's way of wanting to pe- us to depend on him. We've had mm-hmm. a couple of potential adoptions where we prayed and we were ready and God said, no. And it was like all of that process was because he wanted us to be near to him. He wanted us to be close to him in his word, praying, dependent, needy. Same thing with we've had, you know, 
can't like a, a cancer scare with a biopsy where the whole thing ended up being nothing, but God used that entire process because he wanted me to depend on him. He wanted me to become more like him, um, to be exposed in my heart and to be washed in the word. And that that's ultimately what, what this life is about is being conformed to the image of Christ. And if that's yeah. the goal, then, none, then nothing's for naught, right? Then the decision, the thing that you prayed over and then the, you know, the job interview got pulled away at the last minute or the company folded or the house ended up falling through because of a, a bad inspection, then you don't go, oh, that was a waste. If, if the goal is to get more of Christ, it wasn't a waste. You got more of Christ. You got more of his word. You got more of his people. Um, yeah. He's going to squeeze every little bit of a sanctification he can out of our situations because he's yeah. jealous for our good. And he's yeah. jealous for us to be made like him. And so again, yeah. that, that's a paradigm shift when it comes to decisions. Like God is pleased with all of this and he wants more of him, more of him for me. And if that's the case, then, then nothing is lost and it's all gain, right? Um, which is totally opposite of the way the world approaches decisions. Yeah. When we, when we moved from Idaho to California, I got accepted at master's university for actually my third master's degree and in biblical counseling. I was accepted. The, my, my pastors in Idaho said, did you ask your wife? Because I know your wife doesn't want you to go back to school. And, <laughs> um, you know, my wife was like, OK, I kind of pulled her arm and said, OK, well, if we're going to move to California, you're going to do something for me. And that something is me going back to school. So <laughs> I played that card. I only get to play that probably once in my life. So uh, but but what came out of it, I was looking at all these these, you know, classes I was going to take and I was going to love it. And, but then I realized, then I looked at the, the reading and I'm like, wait, I've read these books <laughs> and it's all like 20, it's another $20,000 of yeah. you know, student loan. And then I hit me, I'm like, so basically the only thing I'm going to get out of this is a, the interaction class, which is significant. And then, you know, the, at the end, the certification and plus, you know, another initial after my name, is that, is that, is that really worth it? And then I had to have a sad moment sad right? and then yeah. say, I mean, cause I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. I could be in school like the rest of my life and be perfectly happy, you know, like, but then I had to be honest and say, wife has said, it's okay. My pastor said, it's okay. And then I have to say, it's not okay. Yeah. In my heart, I know. And then well, I walked, and then I walked upstairs and said to my wife, guess what? I have some news for you. And she's like, what's that? And I said, I've decided to not go back to school. And her mouth literally dropped. And then, um, then I told my pastor who wrote the, both of them wrote, he's like, you know what? That was actually showed a lot of maturity. 30. Yes. Because you were, you were making decision based off of what was best for what God to put around you, not just for what you wanted. And I think sometimes decisions are, are measuring rods for growth. So spiritual growth is imperceptible. We don't see it often, just like we have a, um, a door in our house that we measure our kids on. And, you know, every six months or so, we just kind of take out the Sharpie and mark it. And you don't realize how much they're growing because they're constantly around you. Well, sometimes God gives us a decision or an opportunity where we do something, we make a decision and he says, I just wanted to show you how much I've changed you. I wanted to mm. show you how much you're growing. That 10 years ago, you wouldn't have made that decision. That would have been hard for you to say, to turn down a beautiful opportunity because it wasn't going to best serve your family or your walk with God, or to say no to someone's need because you're going to say yes to time in the word that you desperately need, uh, or fill in the blank, right? To say no to an opportunity that would give you more notoriety 
to do quiet service that no one else is going to see. Those are opportunities for God to say, look, I'm growing you. I'm changing you. I'm doing good work um, that kind of help encourage us along. So I love that because I think that's how we sometimes see those things when we make a decision. I never forget sometimes, well, one of the times when we asked our children, they're older now and they're getting to be in their teenage years. And so sometimes when they do something wrong, we'll say, Hey, what do you think is an appropriate consequence for what you just did? Like, what do you Mm. think? And you're kind of putting a lot of power in their hands. Um, but when they say, you know what, I think I shouldn't, I shouldn't play video games for a week. You're like, wow, that was really mature of you. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, similarly, I think God does the same thing with us and he shows us where he's growing us and places to grow through our decisions. So uh, Mm. now our decisions become a lens through which we can get more of God and more of his word. Amen. Well, here's a nerdy question for our listeners. And, uh, you know, for those of you that have listened to this podcast, we've had John Frame on a few times, I think three or four times. And he is just so, yes, he is so smart, but he is incredibly humble and it's, it's amazing. So, uh, how, how much he loves the Lord. And I'm just like, when I'm 80, like three, I hope I'm like, I like, I hope I like in that way. So anyway, as a side note, how, how does frames try perspectivalism help us make decisions? Yes. So for those who aren't familiar with it, John frame kind of made popular, made famous as a kind of a paradigm, essentially a triperspectival paradigm. Um, and it's this idea that when we think of perspectives, we, and that's a big buzzword right now in our culture, right? Like what's your perspective, intersectionality, all those things, like, where do you see the world? What, what is from your vantage point, what are you able to see that other people can't see? Um, but the concept of triperspectivalism starts with this. We are limited in our perspective. We are limited. We can see one place at one time, right? Like, so if I'm standing on the Grand Canyon, I can look at it from this vantage point, but I can't be seeing it from the top, the bottom, the side, the left, the right, and and the valley. Um, God sees, not only is he omniscient, he knows all things, he's omniperspectival. He sees everything from every angle at all times. And so God is incredibly large and big, and yet we are so limited. And so triperspectivalism is just an approach to God. And it, it kind of is, it's formed from the, the concept of the Trinity. So I'm doing this because it's like a triangle. Um, and it's kind of how the Trinity operates a little bit. So it's the normative, the situational and the existential are kind of the three points of the, of the triangle. The normative is, is God's authority. Um, the situational is, is God's control as seen through Jesus. So the father, Jesus, and then the spirit is God's presence as seen through the existential. Um, and so it, it's, it's really Trinitarian, which is really cool. And you could get really theologically geeked out on it. Um, in the book, I had to keep it pretty simple so we could say, hey, this is actually a really cool tool and not get bogged down in the, the operations of the Trinity. But how it's helpful as a tool for decision making is this. Um, it helps you kind of walk around the triangle and think through it through different lenses. So the normative, when you're coming up with a decision um, or you're making a, a big decision, let's say marriage, let's say we're talking about marriage and you're counseling a couple. This happens all the time with us. Um, we have a lot of young adults in our church counseling a couple and they're trying to figure out, is this the one I'm supposed to marry? Right? So the normative, you'd start with God's power, God's authority. Um, you would ask the question, what does God's word have to say about this? Right? So 
Now, God's word says a lot about marriage and doesn't say a lot about marriage at the same time. We know a few things about, about Christian marriage. We know that it is, it is, we're not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer, that what, what likeness does light have with darkness? And so one of the first questions I always ask is, is this person walking with Jesus? And not just do they check the box as a Christian, right? But are they equally yoked? Are you running in the same direction at the same pace with the same passion for the same purposes in Christ? Um, and, and that's kind of the authority. So what is God's word? What does God's word have, have to say about this? And kind of if you clear the normative, then I start to walk down to the situational and say, okay, circumstances, what are the situations of your life? So, well, I live in, in Taiwan and he wants to move to, to Australia. Oh, okay. So then this is a significant you know, circumstance going on in your lives. Are one of you willing to move to, to the other? And if the answer is no, then you just helped make that decision based on the situational. No, we both, neither one of us is willing to let go of our dreams. Well, then I don't think you're going to marry each other because you're not willing to budge, right? The situations in your life permitting this to happen. Um, or let's say for example, for the situational, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm a junior in college and he's a senior in college and we're thinking about getting married this summer. And, um, you know, we have a place we could live and my parents agree and they say it's an awesome decision and they love him. I'm like, okay, cool. So he checks that checks the situational box. This, this could work. It could happen. And then you move to the existential. This is God's presence, kind of interpersonal. Like, what do you want? Do you want to marry this person? Like they might make sense on paper. They, you could be running in the same direction. They love the Lord. They love you. Uh, they have the same passion for missions as you do. Your parents, their parents love him. You, you know, you both want to, you're both on the same timetable, but at the end of the day, I don't think I want to be with this person, or I'm not willing to sacrifice my own comforts to be with this person that I'm, and you've just answered that question with the existential, right? You're saying, is this what you really want? I, I dated a guy for a really long time. He was a great, incredible guy. He made sense on paper, but it just wasn't the, wasn't what God had for me existentially. And, um, but if I had listened to what everyone was saying, I would have moved forward with it. And it wasn't what God, God wanted. It wasn't his intention. So it's just a helpful way to kind of walk across the different perspectives and say, okay. And the normative, I would always land on, start with the normative because that informs everything else. You could existentially want to marry somebody and situationally it makes sense, but they're not a believer or they're not, you know, that's a no, no means no. They're, when, when it's clear in the word, it's obedience, disobedience. That's your only choice. That's mm. your only option. Um, if, but there's lots of, as we said earlier, or on Monday, there's lots of decisions where there's liberty. There's great freedom. And so God's word is, is quiet on a lot of things. And he gives us some principles. And then he says, now there's a lot of freedom. So you start with the normative. You walk to the, the, situ the situational. You say, well, what are the circumstances? And, and for, for example, there was a season there where I thought I wanted to be a genetic counselor because I was a biology nerd. And I thought, well, there's not a lot of believers in genetic counseling. It would be so cool for a family sitting down, learning about their child having a, a rare chromosomal condition to know that there's a there, there's an option to carry this child full term and see their this child as um, made in God's image and their life is valuable, even though biology and science say, well, you should just abort. So I thought this would be a great way to, um, yeah, to be a light in a, in a secular place. but. There were no schools close by, and my husband and I were committed to living where we live for college ministry. So normative, it would have made sense. Existentially, I really wanted it, 
but situationally it wasn't, a, it wasn't a potential. So God closed that door. And I'm so glad he did because I don't want to be a genetic counselor. I thought <laughs> it didn't, I didn't. So, um, it's just a helpful paradigm. Um, I, but again, I always start with the normative and then kind of go situational existential. It's just a good way to help process. Um, because none of us are completely unbiased when we come to a decision, we like to think we are, that we are the, we only ever think with the normative in mind, but you are influenced by the way you were brought up, um, by your culture, by your circumstances, by the, you know, if you were raised in a middle-class home or if you were late raised in, you know, an inner city home where you were struggling to have food on the table, um, and your personality, all of those things play into you making decisions. And that's not bad. God intended it to be that way. Um, and so this just gives an opportunity to kind of look at it from different angles. So that is not only is that really good, but it's also very practical. So thank you so much. Excellent. Excellent job. What, what advice do you have for those who, you know, they've made the big decision now, but now they wonder, Oh no, did Uh I make the right decision? You know what I mean? Oh yes. Well that the thing is after we make a big decision, there's always this like flood of relief, right. For a couple minutes. And then maybe a couple hours or a couple of days later starts coming the fear and the regret and the fear of missing out the FOMO and all of those kind of on the other side of decision-making are some of the things that we have to deal with. Um, so I would say this when it comes to fear. So I think it's fear and then regret and fear of missing out kind of work together. And um, when it comes to fear, like, Oh no, I've made the wrong decision to regret. Oh no. Um, I would just ask a few questions of yourself. I would say, well, what decision did you make? What informed that decision? Did you make that, like, what helped you decide on that? How has God been using that decision? And then what can you learn from that decision for the future, right? So we make decisions. We tend to be very fatalistic, actually, in the way we think about decisions. Once I make this decision, I'm stuck here forever, and and that's it. The the course is is set for me. I felt like this when it came to schooling my children. Like, you had to pick. It felt like, from a culture perspective, you had to pick if you were going to be a homeschool mom, a public school mom, a private school mom. And once you you got on that train, you couldn't get off, right? You had to ride that all the way down to the future. Um, There's great freedom in making a decision, saying, I made the best decision we could make in light of where we were. And now I want to reevaluate it and make a course correction. So our kids are in public school. We will... Every year, pray about that. Lord, is this what you have for us? And we can always course correct. We can always pull them out in homeschool if we need to. We can always put them in a private school if we need to. Um, So what can you learn from the decision that you made? Um, God knows that we're fearful. God knows that we have fearful frames. Psalm 103 says, um, he knows your frame that you are but dust. He knows that we are fearful. And that's why he's constantly telling us in the scriptures, do not be afraid. Do not live in fear. Um, Fear is making ourselves and our decisions really big and God really small. Oh no, God, I'm going to throw off the entire course of human history because of the decision I made on the house. That's making yourself very, very, very large and God very, very small. Um, I think it helps when it comes to fear to think about the cross of Christ, that God took the very worst possible looking thing and made it into the best thing. (laughs) And so if God can do that, if God can reverse death, and the cross and make it into resurrection hope and the pathway to eternity for, for humanity, then um, I'm pretty certain he can work with your decision that you've made. Now you should learn from it, right? You should learn from it and gain wisdom for the future and course correct, but the decision is made and now you need to move forward. And then when it comes to regret and FOMO, yeah, I think the fear of missing out thing is that constantly the idea of there's something else better that I could have chosen. I could have chosen a better house or I could have chosen a better job or we could have gotten to a better school or, 
um, fill in the blank. Psalm 16 really helps me with FOMO. And it's this idea of the Lord has assigned me my portion in my cup. He has made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a delightful inheritance. So say, this is where God has you. Psalm 27, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Wherever you are, dwell there, cultivate faithfulness there. If you're working at that hospital and you said no to this hospital, cultivate faithfulness within that hospital system and trust that God has you there for a purpose. Yeah, another a scene that helps me when it comes to regret from the lying the witch in the wardrobe. Edmund, you know, kind of followed his belly in Turkish delight into the clutches of the white witch. And he's now reinstated back with his brothers and sisters. Um, and, and he just, he keeps regretting his decision and feeling bad about all that he's caused to happen because his, his, his decision had consequences. It had really lasting consequences. And Aslan just keeps saying, just keep looking at me. Just keep looking at me. Don't look around. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the others, people, what they're saying about you, what Lucy and, and Peter are saying, you look at me, you look at me. We're good. We're good. I'm going to take care of you. And so um, I would say, if you've made a decision, present it to Jesus as an offering, cling to Romans 8, 28 through 30, and keep looking at Aslan, keep looking at, at, at God who works good out of even our poor decisions and learn from it. Don't make the same poor decision in the future and teach others about it so that they don't make the same poor decision if you made a poor decision. And then another one that I love is Corey Ten Boom, one of my heroes in the faith. She talks about... Um, when people give her compliments, when, when, when people would say, oh, Corey, you're such a brave woman, or oh, Corey, your book did this in my life, or whatever. She said that she just gathered up all those little flowers, and then every day she presented them as a bouquet to God, and said, these are all yours, God. And so there's not regret and fear if you make a bad decision, and there's not pride and self-wellness, selfishness, if you make a good decision, and self-righteousness. If I made a good decision, it's because God was gracious to me, and he opened my eyes, and he led me through his word, and through his counsel, and it's all glory to be to him, right? Mm -hmm. Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory, because of your steadfast love, because of your faithfulness. Um, so I love that idea. If you made a good decision, don't become prideful, but give that bouquet to the Lord and say, this was all yours anyway, Lord. And if you made a poor decision, don't drown in regret and fear, but keep looking at Aslan, keep looking at him and, and learn from it for this, for the future. So yeah, I think that's what I'd say. That's really, really good. What role should Christian friends in the local church play in helping us make decisions? I know that we've kind of gotten into this, yeah. but let's yeah. just get, get a little bit more, I think. Uh, we, yeah, we talked earlier about the need for trusted trespassers and wise counselors. Proverbs is, is replete with examples of needing wise counselors. Um, they point out our blind spots. They're able to probe into our motivations. They know our story and how our, our past affects our present. Um, so I think they play a significant role. They know us better than a podcast knows us, better than a, a, a famous preacher online knows us. Um, they know us uniquely. They know our talk about normative, situational, existential. They, they, there are many people that can teach us the normative, but there's not many people that know our existential and our situational. And the church, the local church gets to do that. If you have wise shepherds, they do that for you. Um, I think that wise counsel is a gauge on your dashboard of decisions is not the only gauge. And so sometimes people are in cultures where um, their Christian community makes a really, has a really outsized voice in their decisions. And so, and sometimes that's a lot of honor and shame. There's a lot of shame there. Like if I don't do this, my, my, 
they're going to be ashamed of me or what will they think? Or, um, and that's actually idolatrous rather than listening to, well, what is God actually calling me to do? Um, and so I think they're a gauge among other gauges, um, a significant gauge, especially if you have the right trusted trespassers, especially if you have the people who know God's word, um, and who, who know you, because sometimes it's easy to pick counsel that's going to tell us what we want to hear. Um, and so being really selective in our listening, um, so I, I would caution against that. Um, I did that a lot in college where I knew what, if this person was going to tell me what I want, what the answer that I wanted. And so I would say, oh, well, I, I talked to so-and-so and they said it was good. And I was kind of using that as a smokescreen to do whatever I wanted. So yeah, I think the church plays a very significant role, especially to the degree that it is word-centered, spirit-filled, and shepherding of you. Yeah, That's really good. Yeah. I think just piggybacking off that, when I look for people that are going to hold me accountable, and by the way, that's something that I'm always looking for. Can this person, is this person going to, is this person telling me what I want to hear, like you said, or are they telling me what I need to hear? Mm. Uh, do they, uh, have they demonstrated that you know, they're actually praying for me. Do they follow up with me? Do they ask how I'm doing when I share a prayer request in a, like a small group or something? Yeah. Or do they just kind of blow it off and whatever? Well, that person's probably going to, you know, I'll be still be friends with them, but I'm probably not going to like seek accountability from them. And that kind of just like being intentional about your accountability is important, mm-hmm. but also being careful in the people that you're letting close to you, like close to your heart and that are speaking into your life. That doesn't mean that you, we're not, I'm not saying that you just, uh, how do you, how do you say this without coming across like in the wrong way? Like you're not holding people like arm's length and not sharing with them, but you're just not letting them, uh, and you're not, not letting them all the way in. You're just also not letting them be like a super close friend with you. Because yeah, we we um we use the paradigm in our family of short, medium, and long version because we live in a culture of authenticity and everyone wants to be authentic. And so yeah. um and this and, and the and the idea of transparency in our culture can run amok. And so we say there's everyone you could everyone you can give it the short version, you know, I'm doing well, but time at home was really hard. Medium version. Yeah. I'm doing well, but I was really struggling with sin of people pleasing when I was home with my family. Um, long version, they get the full details, they know the full story. And so you be careful with who gets the long version. Um, everyone can get a short, simple version of what you, and that's not being inauthentic. You're being authentic. Yeah. You're just not yeah. giving them everything. Jesus says, don't throw your pearls to swine. And so I think there's something to that. We don't give the best of ourselves in the most tender and vulnerable places of ourselves to people who we don't think can can manage it scripturally and with a gospel lens. If they're going to shame you for making a bad decision, that's probably not the kind of counsel you need. You need someone who's going to say, the Lord is big and he's taken care of your shame. He's covered your guilt in the gospel. And so we're going to move forward and face the consequences of the decision that we've made. And that's very different than shame on you. I can't believe you did that. That's not helpful counsel. That's really good. Well, where can people go to find you, find out more about you on social media or, you know, on the internet or, or anywhere else that you might be? So I am not much of a social media girl. Um, I'm on Facebook, me and all the old people, just kidding. Um, not on Instagram. So I'm on Facebook. I have a blog, amyjoseph.blog that I, I write pretty regularly, probably once or twice a week. Um, and then I have some articles on Gospel Coalition and Desiring God if you want to read more. Um, and then our church website is centercitysd.church. 
um, in San Diego, but otherwise I'm kind of quiet on social media, just trying to be present where God has me and enjoy these years with my boys. So, but yeah, blog, Facebook, um, excellent, excellent. Excellent. So there's, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about. And as I always say on this show, you know, we've really only scratched the surface and it's true. We really have scratched the surface. That's kind of hard to believe that. But just as we wrap up, do you have any takeaways for us? Yeah, I just, I would want you to know the freedom and the privilege it is to make decisions that God cares deeply about your decisions. And, and we know that God cares deeply about that because he chose to step into this world <laughs> and to put on human flesh, um, to take care of our sin and to show us what it looks like to walk in righteousness and to live the righteous life for us. So active and passive righteousness. And so as we make those decisions, we do that as those who are hidden in Christ, who are wrapped up in his righteousness. Um, and so that gives us great freedom and great boldness and great humility as we make decisions that honor God. And just the, the idea that God, your decisions actually make a difference in the kingdom of God, that our decisions are a chance to either bring God's kingdom to this earth or um, to bring our own little kingdom and our own little uh, fleshly world to this earth. And so, yeah, just to lean into the scriptures, lean into the local church, lean into community um, and know that God cares more about you walking into his well than you do. <laughs> awesome. Well, so good. Well, Amy, it's been a pl pleasure to have you on Equipping and Grace uh, on Monday and today. Thank you so much for your time and for the great book that you've written. Guys, it, the book is uh, Demystifying Decision Making. I highly recommend you go out and get this book and then go get it for a friend and then for another friend too. So consider that an endorsement. So thank you, Dave. I appreciate you, it. Yeah. Well, you have a blessed day, friend. You thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.